Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. As you can hear, I have a new intro song. I'd like to give a huge shout out and thank you to Bog Witch, who sent me their song, A Swamp Witch's Lullaby, to use as my new intro music. I think it fits the show beautifully. You can find more gorgeously dark musical ambiance by Bog Witch on Spotify. Speaking of Spotify, remember, by October 8th, the show will be Spotify exclusive, which means you will only be able to find me there. There will be more stories by yours truly, as well as this very popular comeback of the Guided Nightmares. I can see everyone's loving them, and I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to help you all sleep in such a different way. (laughs) Look out for a Guided Nightmare Halloween special on October 13th. Again, only on Spotify. The show will continue to be free, and you can even use Spotify to download the show onto any listening device of your choice if you'd prefer to listen that way. So join me for free on Spotify on October 8th. Now, on to this week's stories. Our first story is so beautiful in an odd way that I believe only my listeners will appreciate. This is by returning author Kenny Toll. I present Decomposition, a love story. John and Nancy sit on their yellow leather sofa and stare at the television screen. Their fingers are interlocked in the casual way that couples who have spent a lifetime together do. The glow from the screen illuminates the wisps of silver hair that flow over Nancy's shoulders. John has long since lost his, but in Nancy's eyes, he will always look like a young Alan Alda. 45 years together. They could hardly believe it. As the hours pass, and the TV turns from programming to late-night advertisements, the flies begin to hover, gently landing on John's cheek, Nancy's ankle, their ears. They met at a dinner party that Nancy's girlfriend held. John was with a different date. He doesn't remember her name now, but Nancy caught his eye. She was sharp and beautiful. They casually argued about something related to the upcoming election. By the end of the night, he had her number, much to the dismay of his date. A week later, John took Nancy dancing. As they moved around the club, it was as if the other patrons had disappeared, and they were alone, dancing to music that only was played for them. They were married eight months later. When their children look at them now, they see what they want in their future. But the kids are grown and no longer live nearby. If they had, maybe they would have stopped by and found them there, sitting on their couch. The programming on the TV has moved to an old British sitcom. In normal times, they love this show. Now, it seems distant. Three days have passed since they sat on the couch. Instinctually, they both know that something is wrong, but neither can seem to say what it is. 
they know that their skin had turned to a bright, beautiful white. Their eyes have clouded and grayed. Their tongues have pulled back. But other than that, things are pretty much as they always were. They are at least together, fingers locked, watching their favorite shows. The phone has started to ring, but neither John or Nancy can answer it. Or maybe they don't want to. Nancy thinks of a vacation she and John had taken together when they were younger. They had spent years saving for a trip to Hawaii. On their 20th wedding anniversary, they finally made the trip. Those five days were filled with nothing but tropical cocktails and sitting by the turquoise water. It's funny how much of a summer vacation is spent sitting, enjoying the surroundings. She realized they were, in their own way, on a form of vacation. Splayed on the couch, relaxed, hand in hand. The decay of the body is a rather private event. The things that happen to you are the things that you don't want to share with your neighbor. It's the reason we bury bodies in the earth, where the gradual progression from existence to abyss is kept out of sight. Or why we cremate bodies, out of sight, out of mind. By the same token, there's something incredibly romantic about the mutual decay of lovers. When there's nothing left but to look at your partner and think, at least I'm not alone. Six days have passed. The TV is playing a sleazy teen movie that had come out a few years back. Not exactly the type of thing that John and Nancy would generally enjoy, but under the circumstances, it was at least something to watch. Their fingers had fused together at this point, finally connecting them in the way that they had always felt in their hearts. It was around the ninth day, shortly before one of their children had finally realized something was wrong and used the spare key to find the rotting lover's bodies on the couch in front of the television, that Nancy decided to get up. Of course, she wasn't really getting up. It was hard for her to explain. It was more a memory, a photograph. That's it, she thought to herself. A photograph of her and John. And in this photograph, she released John's hand and shook him. Shall we go to the roof? She asked. What? The roof? He replied. And in this snapshot, she said, Yes, let me take you there. They stood, leaving their bodies behind, and made their way to the little ladder on the second floor that led them to the roof. The moon was smiling from behind a soft, fluffy bed of clouds. They stood, staring out at the neighborhood where they had spent the majority of their lives. Nancy stared at John. What now? He quietly asked. She grabbed his hand. The wind blew down from the hills behind the house and, for the first time in what felt like a lifetime, John and Nancy 
danced alone to music that was only played for them. This last story is by show regular and the wonderfully talented, I'm not even going to say show regular, show favorite, Richard Kenway. You must go buy his book, The Spirits of Vinehouse on Amazon. It's such a good read. I read it in probably, in I think two sittings. You could probably read it in one. I read it in two. It's a quick read, but it's so deep in just this beautiful story of this old haunted house. It's amazing. Like I said, it's called The Spirits of Vinehouse. I will link it in the show notes. But tonight, he has for us, let's play hide and seek. I've never been to France before, and... I've always wanted to visit, so you can imagine my excitement when my new girlfriend invited me to come with her and her two children to visit her parents. We left early Monday morning and took a two-hour plane journey to an airport in the south of France. As far as flights go, it was relatively stress-free. The flight wasn't delayed and the weather was in our favor. Clear skies and perfect flying conditions, or so the pilot claimed. We touched down and made our way from the plane to the airport's arrival terminal. As soon as we left the plane, I noticed an immediate change in the weather. To describe it as hot would be a huge understatement. Even the air itself felt like it had no oxygen in it. The air conditioning system in the airport was a small relief until we stepped out of the building and made our way to the car park. Not a single cloud in the sky and no breeze either. The car journey to the house took just over two hours, and just like the airport, the car's aircon system was sheer bliss against the heat of the weather outside. The house itself was situated in a remote part of the French countryside, which I have to say is a beautiful sight. Fields full of sunflowers and corn surrounded the country roads we navigated along in order to reach our destination. The house was old-looking from the outside, with thick stone walls. It had a large barn connected to the side with a door that connected to the house for easy access. Even though my girlfriend's parents were using it for storage, it was still very much intact. There was a large area where livestock would have been kept with stone feeding troughs and even those holes in the wall you see in movies where the cows stick their heads through. To give you an idea of the general layout, we walked through the door into the kitchen. Next to that was the living room. You walk down a corridor that leads away from the kitchen to the bedrooms and the bathroom. In the center of the property is a small square courtyard with flowers growing in flower beds. On the other side of the courtyard is the part of the house that isn't being used yet, the part that is still being renovated. The garden is also something of a marvel. A huge front garden with another barn on the grounds and Even a large swimming pool was put in for the summer. The girls, Elizabeth and Alice, both loved that pool and spent hours in it. I did too. It was a huge comfort in the heat. We spent a few days relaxing and playing by the pool during the day, and then in the evenings after the girls were tucked up in bed, we would sit outside and listen to some soft rock music whilst having 
few drinks and occasionally played a few card games. I couldn't help but think to myself, this is the life. On the third day, my girlfriend's mother needed to take a drive to the nearest town to do a bit of shopping. When I say nearest town, I mean a 45-minute drive to the nearest town. Like I said, we were in the middle of the sticks out here. My girlfriend wanted to go too, and I was more than happy to stay behind with the girls. On this particular day, the swimming pool was out of bounds due to a problem with the pump and filtration system. I asked the girls what they wanted to do for fun, and they both eagerly yelled, Hide and seek! Given the size of the house and garden, and all the possible hiding spaces, I could think of nothing better. Although running around in this heat wasn't something I wanted to do, there was a hope that they would hide inside the house, where it was much cooler. So, I leaned up against the wall, and counted to a minute whilst the girls took off in opposite directions. I did the typical, ready or not, here I come, and then made my way around the garden in search. I've been a step-parent long enough to know how this works. I'll see them hiding in a really obvious place and then pretend to walk around for a bit looking for them before suddenly grabbing them and yelling, found you. However, as I walked around the garden, I started to come to the understanding that this wasn't going to be the case this time. Unlike our house back in the UK, there were loads of potential places for the girls to hide. I was actually going to have to make an effort here. I walked around the garden first, and checked behind the hedges and the swimming pool. I even looked behind the compost heap, which spooked a small group of field mice into hiding in the process. My next stop was the barn, which I walked around quickly. That place always made a shiver go down my spine for some reason, but I made sure they weren't in there before I made a quick exit. The house was my next stop, which I was happy to do because at this point I was sweating buckets and the heat was starting to make me feel a little uneasy. I checked the kitchen, the living room, and the bedrooms. I even searched the shower, but wherever the girls had hidden themselves, they were hidden well. The only place I could think to search was the courtyard. It was very possible they had laid down on the ground behind the flower beds. It was the only place I could think of to look. I opened the door in the living room that led out to the courtyard. A small lizard ran across the wall beside me and round the corner. Several bees and butterflies were feasting on the buffet of colorful flowers they had to choose from. I slowly crept behind the flower beds whilst gently wafting away a bee that decided to get curious. My plan was to jump out at them and make them jump, but as I jumped out, the space behind the flower beds was empty. The girls weren't there. This is where the panic started to set in. I'm sure all the parents out there will know what I'm talking about. When you have no idea where your kid is, it triggers a panic you can't even begin to describe. Your brain and your imagination goes into hyperdrive with images of your kid being in trouble or hurt somewhere and you're not there to help them. It's a sickening feeling. And the worst part is, I had absolutely no idea what to do. Do I call the police? What good would that do? We were miles away from anywhere, and they probably wouldn't understand a word I was saying. My girlfriend was at least an hour away. 
How would I explain that I lost the girls in the house? I raised my hands to my mouth and shouted, I give up, girls. You're too good. Come on, come on out and we'll have an ice cream. Nothing. I got no reply. The promise of ice cream never failed to draw them out from wherever they were, but this time it failed, and now the panic level had tripled. I paced around the courtyard and tried to think of what to do next. It was then I noticed the door to the other side of the house was open. Not wide open, but cracked open just enough to notice it. I could have sworn my girlfriend's mother told me the door was locked, but at the time I guessed someone went in there and forgot to lock it afterwards. The girls knew they weren't allowed to go in there, but, well, you know kids. They don't always do what they're told. I pulled open the door and peered inside. The room was completely different to the rest of the house. The stone walls were unpainted. There was no flooring or carpet, and there were multiple spiders and cobwebs on the walls. There was even a wasp nest in the corner, but luckily the lack of activity suggested it to be long abandoned by its occupants. I called out to the girls again, but again, I got no answer. There was another door that led into a room that didn't have any windows. No furniture, nothing. Just a stone room, which I'm guessing would probably be a bathroom eventually. As I stood looking into the room, something shoved me from behind. It was strong enough to push me into the room, at which point the door slammed shut, plunging me into darkness. I turned around and fumbled the door handle. I pulled on that thing like my life depended on it, but the damn thing just would not budge. I even slammed my shoulder into the door a few times, but this thing was solid. My shoulder began to hurt, and I knew there would be one hell of a bruise by the next morning. Suddenly, the door handle became loose, and the door swung open, sending me flying into the next room. The room was full of hornets flying around. There must have been 50 of the things at least, and these things were monstrous in size. If you've ever seen what a Japanese hornet looks like, you'll know what I'm talking about. A sting on my shoulder was enough to jumpstart me from utter shock into action mode, and I made for the door to the courtyard. I opened it and slammed the door shut behind me, trapping the hornets in the room. The few that came out with me whizzed up and over the top of the house. A logical explanation was that maybe I disturbed a nest when I entered, but now that I was outside... I knew something extremely weird was going on. The sky was dark, as in nighttime dark. When I entered that room, it was the middle of the day. Now it was the middle of the night. I stared up at the sky in awe as stars shone over my head. I could still hear the loud buzz of the hornets in the room behind me, but I paid them no attention. I looked down at the courtyard. The flowers were dead and looked like they had been for some time. Also, 
In the flower beds were the bodies of several small animals in various stages of decomposition. Rabbits and guinea pigs littered the flower beds like something from a weird zombie movie. I went over for a closer look at the nearest one. A rabbit with long floppy ears, one of them missing, its skull visible through its rotten flesh. An eye was also missing. It was sticking halfway out of the ground like it was in the process of digging its way out. As I leaned over for a closer look, the thing lurched up and made a horrific sound. I fell back with fright and watched as this thing clawed at the ground to get at me. Movement in the cord of my eye confirmed that the other dead animals had also reanimated and were also trying to free themselves from their earthly shackles. A rat-like creature ran up my leg and sank its teeth into my skin. I yelled out with fright and with pain and kicked at the creature with my other leg. I hit it square on the top of its head and its skull smashed to pieces. The other animals were making their way out of the ground now. The rabbit had managed to free itself and was now starting its attack. I didn't hang around for that fight. I got up and ran for the door to the house. I opened it and entered the living room before slamming the door shut as a cat-like skeleton was trying for my leg. I caught it in the door and snapped it in two. Its front half snapped at me with its jaws, but a firm stamp to the head was enough to take it down for good. The rest of the animals clawed at the door in an attempt to get to me. I dropped down to the floor with my back against the door. I rolled up my trouser leg to examine the bite. There was a little bit of blood, but the bite wasn't too serious. The living room was almost completely engulfed in darkness. There was something odd about it as well. A strange smell was in the air, like food that had been left out to spoil. I pulled myself up from the ground and looked about. The furniture was still there, and so was the television screen. On the small coffee table was a folded up piece of paper. I picked it up and unfolded it. This is what it said. The children's lives are in your hands. To free them from their cage, you'll need the key. To get the key, you must follow the clues. At the bottom of the page were the letters P-T-O. Surprised, I turned the piece of paper over, and where there was a blank piece of paper before, there was now writing. Clue one. You use me to produce milk for cheese, cream, and yogurt. One of me is holding on to the second clue for you. But don't anger the farmer. He won't be happy. I didn't like the sound of this, but... Apparently I had no choice if I wanted to get the girls back. The clue obviously meant cows and... Seeing as the barn used to house cattle, it seemed like the obvious place to search. I walked through the kitchen and then into the corridor. Halfway up the corridor was a door that led to the barn. I opened it and stepped inside. If I hadn't already experienced what had happened in the other parts of the house, this would have me question my sanity. 
The place was abuzz with the sounds of mooing and cows eating. They had their heads poking through the wooden holes that were boarded up this morning. Now they were fully in use. Compared with the horrors of the hornets and the undead animals, this seemed pretty tame. All I had to do was look around and find the next clue. No problem there. Easy. As soon as I took a step forward, I heard a deep snoring sound coming from my right-hand side. I glanced around and saw a large man sat in a chair, sleeping. He was a giant of a man, at least six feet tall, and he looked strong. He had a typical farmer's outfit on, you know, with the dungarees and the hat. He was even chewing on a piece of straw. His skin was blue, and his fingernails black. If he weren't breathing so deeply and snoring, I would swear he was dead. Then I remembered the note. Don't anger the farmer. That probably translated to, don't wake the farmer. I turned my attention back to the cows. Their mooing didn't seem to bother him, and the likelihood of him being a deep sleeper was looking pretty good. Carefully, I took a step towards the open door to the area where the cows were gathered. Why they hadn't walked through into this section of the barn was anyone's guess. I stepped into the area. There were about ten other cows in here, just standing about, chewing away. Few of them looked around at me, but they soon lost interest and went back to what they were doing. I walked around them and examined the ground and the walls. Anywhere someone might leave a note. I thought about checking their food trough, but that would be silly. If someone had put a note in there, the cows would have eaten it. It had to be here somewhere. I looked at the cows more closely to see if there was anything different about any of them. I was right. One of the cows had a bell around its neck, and attached to the bell was a magnet holding a piece of paper. I took a few steps towards the cow. It looked up at me and watched me closely as I approached. When I was almost within reach, the thing turned its head and mooed loudly. Easy girl, I whispered in my pathetic attempt at playing the cow whisperer. The cow was having none of it. She turned her head and clumsily ran across to the other side of the barn. The bell clanged as she ran, and I heard from the other part of the barn a low, deep voice. Who's there? Who's bothering my cows? I didn't say anything. I stepped back, kept as quiet as possible. A figure entered the doorway and looked around. The farmer had in his hands what looked like a large rake. He stepped into the area and walked amongst the cows. He knew there was someone else in here, and he was looking for them. All I could do to protect myself was crouch down behind the body of a cow and pray he didn't see me. The farmer walked past me, breathing heavily and looking from side to side. I held a hand over my mouth, like they do in the movies, so he wouldn't hear my breathing. My heart was beating so fast, I feared he would be able to find me. He walked up to the cow with the bell on it and gently stroked her head. I know you're hungry. 
You'll just have to wait your turn like everyone else. Then, the farmer turned around and walked back the way he came, still looking from side to side as he did so. He left the area, and I heard the wooden chair leg on the concrete floor. A few seconds after that, snoring again. Food, I thought to myself. That was the key. If I could get her some food, she might let me approach her. I looked around for something I could use to feed her, but the room was empty, except for the cows, of course. Then I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. The cows with their heads in the holes had rope tied around them. I walked over to a cow in the middle row and picked up the rope. I gently pulled on the rope to bring the cow out. It followed without any issues. With the cow out of the hole, I was hoping the cow with the bell would take its place. To my horror, I saw another cow take its place, one without a rope attached to it. I tried in vain to pull the cow back out, but the thing wouldn't budge. Unless the cow had a rope attached to it, I wouldn't be able to move them from the hole. This meant I only had a number of chances to do this before this task was near impossible. I went to the next available cow and gently pulled on the rope. The cow stepped back, only this time I let go of the rope the moment the cow was clear and began shooing away any other cow that tried to get close. It was harder than it looked. One cow snuck in behind me and got into the hole just before I reached it. In my haste, I took a bit of a leap forward and landed on the floor a bit too heavy. The farmer grunted in his sleep again. I hid behind a cow and waited, but he didn't appear in the doorway. I went to the next available hole. I was getting closer to the cow with a bell now, which was good, but also bad. The last thing I wanted was to spook her again and wake up the killer farmer. I pulled on the rope and pulled out my third cow. I copied my previous action of releasing the cow and then guarding the hole. The cow with the bell moved forward. I stepped back, knocking into the side of another cow as I did so. It paid no attention at all. The cow with the bell around its neck stuck its head through the hole and started to eat. From here, though, I couldn't reach the bell. I would have to go around to the other side. Being as quiet as possible, I walked past the cows and back out into the other area. The cow with the bell on it was at the other end of the room. I was going to have to walk past the farmer in order to get to her. I slowly walked past him without taking my eyes off of him. I even held my breath again just to be safe. I got to the cow with the bell on it. She was munching away quite happily. I slowly walked up to her. She looked up at me, and I froze on the spot. Fearing that she was about to vanish from sight and wake the farmer again, I dared not move. If the farmer woke up now, I was as good as dead. The cow lowered her head and continued to eat. I got closer and reached out for the bell. I held on to the piece of paper with one hand and took off the magnet with the other. The paper came away and I quickly put it in my pocket. Now, I had to get out of here. There were two doors I could choose from. The one that led back to the house and the other at the far end of the barn that led to the garden. Seeing as door number two was further away from the farmer, I went for this one. Once again, I tiptoed past the farmer and got to the door. I gently pushed down on the handle, but as I did so, I felt something loosen on the other side of the door. Something dropped and made a loud clatter. I looked around to see the farmer jump up from his seat. He yelled at me and ran towards me with his trusty rake in hand. 
He swung it round at me and missed me by an inch as the rake hit the wall behind me. I tried to land a punch to the farmer's gut, but it was like hitting a sandbag. He struck me with the back of his hand and sent me flying. I managed to pull myself back up off the ground, just as the rake struck the ground behind me. I ran to the far end of the barn and saw a door that I didn't know was there. I prayed that this door was unlocked. My life depended on this door being unlocked. The farmer was big, but he was also fast and right behind me. I yanked at the door handle and threw it open. I fell to the floor on the outside of the barn and found myself on the other side of the building. The farmer stopped just short of the door and looked down at me with angry, sunken eyes. He grunted before turning around and walking back to his chair in the barn. For some reason, he wouldn't leave the barn to come after me. I got up and closed the door, just to put a bit more of a barrier between us. With the threat of the farmer now gone, I walked around the side of the building to the front of the house. Whatever had fallen from the door to wake up the farmer was now gone. There was just enough light to read the note. Well done. Well done. Hope you're not too tired after playing with the cows. The key requires a bit of stamina to reach. And strong lungs. I looked up at the swimming pool. Strong lungs. Made sense to me. I walked across the lawn to the swimming pool and glanced in. If the key were in here, I couldn't see it from here. I was going to have to go in. My mind was swimming with ideas of the potential threats I was about to face. Piranhas, maybe? Or a crocodile? Judging by what I had faced so far, it wouldn't surprise me if a great white shark appeared. Reluctantly, I climbed onto the ladder and started to descend into the water. It was cool, but not cold. It had warmed up in the heat of the day. I got a chill as the water reached my waist, but... Once I was in, I was okay. I started to wade through the water and looked down as I tried to see anything that might be the key. At the center of the pool, I took a deep breath and went under. I was a pretty good swimmer and had no trouble opening my eyes underwater. I looked around as fast as I could before the air in my lungs brought me back up to the surface. I walked a bit further and took another deep breath before going back under. I did this several times before I saw something metallic lying at the bottom of the pool. I took one large deep breath and dived down. I grabbed the key and started to make my way to the surface. The surface of the water should have been just above my head. Yet, no matter how hard I kicked and pulled with my hands, I never seemed to be getting any closer to it. The air in my lungs was longing to escape, and when that happened, my body's natural urge would be to take in more air to replace it. Just as the surface drew near, something grabbed my foot and pulled me back down through the water. I looked down to see what had grabbed me, and what I saw made me want to open my mouth and scream. There was a woman with long, dark hair, but her face was terribly decomposed. She looked like she had been in the water for a long time. 
She had flakes of skin hanging from her body, and her clothes were falling away as well. In my frightened state, the key slid from my hand and dropped towards the figure. At that moment, she yanked me down again, and I fumbled for the key as it slowly sank by. With one quick jerk, I kicked out at the woman with my foot, hitting her in the face. It was enough to make her let go of me, and I pulled and kicked towards the surface. Just as my lungs were about to give up the good fight, my head broke the surface of the water. I released the air in my lungs and took in a large, thankful gasp. The water level was normal again, and I could stand up in the shallow water. I hurried to the ladder and quickly climbed out of the pool. My wet clothes weighed me down, and I tripped over as I stepped off the ladder. I got up quickly and made my way back to the house. I collapsed on the outside decking and held up the key. It was a large brass key, but there was nothing to indicate what the key unlocked. I was stuck and had no idea what I was supposed to do next. As far as I knew, there was nothing on the property that had anything the lock might fit. There was nothing in the barn or the house. But maybe there was something in the garage. With my clothes still sopping wet, I made my way to the garage. Sure enough, on the garage door was a note. You're almost, You're at, almost the at the end. Slow and steady, steady wins, the wins the race. Don't go too, Don't fast, go too fast, or you'll, or you'll lose ahead. I didn't like the sound of that. I put the key into the lock and opened the door. I then put the key in my pocket and walked into the garage and walked into what I can only describe as Jigsaw's playroom. At the far side of the room was one of those large, steady hand games. The one where you have a metal hoop and you have to guide it along the wire without touching it. A large set of metal bars separated me from the other side of the garage. Behind the bars was a large guillotine-like device. To my horror, I saw the girls were lying on the slab beneath the large blade. It was positioned just over their necks. I ran to the bars and tried to force my way through, but it was no good. I was too big. The bars extended all the way to the ceiling. There was no other way inside. If I wanted to save them, I was going to have to play the game. A large number three was spray-painted in red on the wall above the game. I passed the room a few times and vented some of my frustration. I needed to be calm if I was going to pull this off. When I thought I was ready, I sat down on the chair in front of the game, and I lifted the metal hoop. It started on a piece of rubber and ended on a piece of blue metal which I assumed was linked to some sort of mechanism that released the bars. I slowly started to move the hoop along the metal. It was going quite well in spite of my wet clothes making things difficult. I was about halfway when I heard a screech from above. A large bat flew down close to my head, making me jump. A loud buzzer went off as the hoop collided with the metal. The blade on the guillotine shuddered, as if a lock had been released. 
If the number on the wall was any indication, I had two more chances and more than likely more distractions as well. I brought the hoop back to the start and waited. Did I just go again? A second buzz led me to believe the game had been reset. I started to go again. When I was halfway, another bat flew down past my head. I stopped and got myself together and continued. I was just rising up into a swirly section when a snake leapt out of nowhere and snapped at my hand. Another buzz, and once again, the blade shuddered. Now it was swaying a little. It only had one more lock holding it up now. I quickly brought the hoop back to the start position and got up from the chair. I was too tense again, and I needed to be calm. I stamped my feet on the ground, and I shook my fists in the air. Hell, I even swore and shouted. I then removed my wet shirt and threw it on the ground. This was my last chance. If I failed here, it was all over. I sat down on the chair again and took a few deep breaths before starting. The animals didn't appear to be trying to hurt me, just make me lose my concentration. I cracked my knuckles and got started. I lifted the metal hoop and guided it along the wire. When I got halfway, the bat flew down at me. I stopped and waited for it to go. When I was a bit further, the snake reappeared and snapped at my hand before slithering away, somewhere out of sight. I controlled my breathing and carried on. When I was about an inch away from the end, I saw something approach my arm out of the corner of my eye. I stopped and slowly glanced over. A very large tarantula was making its way up my arm. Goosebumps appeared all over my body and the hairs on the back of my neck stood to attention. I tried my best to ignore it and continue. I only had a bit more to go. The spider was now on my shoulder, and I could feel one of its legs on my neck. I fought the urge to knock it from my skin, and I slowly brought the hoop down onto the blue metal. There was a loud click, followed by a beep. I knocked the spider from my shoulder and jumped to my feet. The bars started to descend from the ceiling, and I had to wait for them to be low enough for me to get over. I quickly took the girls up in my arms and got them away from that contraption. As soon as I was back over the bars, the blade dropped with a loud thump. I gave it a last look before I left the garage and walked towards the house. I had the girls back, but I didn't know what to do now. There were no more instructions and no indication of how to end this nightmare. The girls were safe, and I wasn't going to let them out of my sight. I took them into the living room and sat down on the sofa. The zombie animals had stopped scratching at the door, which was good. The half a cat that I disposed of earlier was still by the door, but it wasn't going anywhere. I sat on the sofa with the girls in my arms, and I guess I must have fallen asleep, because the next thing I knew, I was being shaken awake by my girlfriend. I woke up to find the girls sat on the floor in front of me, watching the television, they seemed to have no recollection of us playing hide-and-seek, and as far as they were concerned, 
We came straight in after we waved the women goodbye. I took a deep sigh of relief. It was just a dream. A really horrible, fucked up dream, but a dream nonetheless. Or at least, that's what I thought. Until I put my hand in my pocket and pulled out the metal key I had used to open the garage door. Engraved on the side of the key were the words, You win. Thanks for listening. Thank you to tonight's authors and to musical artist Bogwitch for my new intro song. Remember, if you'd like your short story considered to be turned into a fun audio nightmare, you can send your submissions to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. I spend a lot of time on each story, so if you get picked for the show, you will get the full treatment. Um, remember to follow me over on Spotify if you'd like to continue listening to the show. I really hope you do. I will miss you so much if you don't. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to interact. Facebook, like I've said many times before, is where there's more interaction than anything. I think it's just set up better for interaction. You know what I mean? Um, also, I have a fun Halloween surprise for you coming up. I actually just got the message about it as I was finishing up recording this episode and that's why this episode's coming out kind of late because I was working on some last minute details for some stuff Um, but I will let you know those details and even what it is at all when it gets a little closer just making sure everything is you know set up nicely Um, I think that's it now go get some sleep sweet dreams